You know, uh, I, I like that picture of, you know, breathing in His grace, right? Breathing in, you know, getting what we don't deserve, right? You start breathing in God's grace, all you can do is breathe out His praise. If you're here for the first time, we do want to welcome you to Maple Grove. Uh, one thing we're about, we're, we're about connecting people to a, a life change, a relationship with Jesus. And you may be wondering why I'm in a jersey. Um, you know, uh, we do something when it kicks off. I forgot to mention it on Sunday, so I sent out an email. But when the NFL season kicks off, and on Super Bowl Sunday, we encourage people uh, to wear a jersey of their favorite sports team, and, uh, you know, or a T-shirt. And uh, I, I'm a Patriots fan. I'm going to ask if uh, Steve Valores would stand. I got a football here. It's a little bit deflated. That's how we do things in Patriot world. But he's going to catch the pass right there. See? See, it works. It works. There you go. Keep my day job. But, but anyhow, um, really, you know, I'll use an analogy here. So you, you know, sometimes we can, we can come into church feeling deflated, right? And, and seriously, we can, right? And, and the goal is, right, coming to God's praise, presence, it can, it can reinflate us, right? Breathing in God's grace. I'll tell you what, that, that'll pump you up in a hurry, right? That'll get that PSI up, right, to an acceptable level, <laughs> All right, enough football. Uh, I, I, I want to start off reading a passage from Luke chapter 18. In this passage, you may have heard it before, Jesus has an encounter with a, a really rich guy. He's sometimes referred to as the rich young ruler. Begin at verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother. I replied, all these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Now, if you didn't know how the story went, what would you think? What's this one thing this guy lacks? And then Jesus tells him, so everything you have, and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, the answer to his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, he became very what? Very sad, because he was very what? Very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, he looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Picture that. It's kind of hard. I've always said that unless you put that camel in a blender, right, he's not going through, right? You know, blender maybe, right? All right. Sorry for that picture, okay? Indeed, it's easier for a camel. In other words, it's very hard um, than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Then those who heard this asked him, then who can be saved? They're like, this doesn't make sense. The rich are blessed by God. If they can't be saved, then we're really in trouble. And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left all we've had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and the age to come eternal life. May God bless the reading of his word, and I invite you all to join me in prayer, and uh, we like to pray open palms here, you know, totally optional, but just symbolic that we're ready to receive from God. Heavenly Father, we, we humbly come into your presence, and how else can we come into a, the presence of a great and powerful, righteous, holy God? We are frail, falling, and finite, and you are not. And God, I pray that your spirit flows. I pray that your word comes with power, God, I pray for open hearts and open minds as James once again um, hits us head on with your truth. God, I pray that you help me to say what you want me to say in the way that you want me to say it. I pray that uh, I no way get in the way of the message you have for each of us this morning. I pray that I hear in Jesus' name, amen. You know, this week as I, as I thought about the book of James, a book that we've been in now studying for 10 weeks in a series that we're calling making it real. I, I thought about how awesome it is to, 
to both know and to hear what Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 18, verse 27. What is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And, and, and what I want us to do, you, my line is going to be, what is impossible with man? Yours is going to be, it's possible with God, right? And, and, and it's, on the, it's on the screen, so we should be able to do this, right? You know, and, 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 and I want you, right, you may have some things in your life that are feeling kind of impossible, right? And, and, and I don't know what you're going through, maybe financial, maybe relational, I, I don't know, something that's like, you know, this, this is stinking impossible. How could this how could this ever work out, right? You may be there. And, and so, but, but God has a word for you this morning. All right, you guys ready? What is impossible with man? It's possible with God. What is impossible with man? What is impossible with man? Amen. And that's good news, right? Amen. I mean, because to be honest, when, when I look at all the things that God through James calls me to do as a Jesus follower, I am like, no way, not seeing it. How is that ever going to really be lived out in my life? I mean, seriously, James, you're telling me that in the midst of an all-consuming, unrelenting, painful, difficult, sucking just about every ounce of life I have out of me, trial and hardship, you're telling me to consider that pure joy? James, that seems impossible. And, and James, I, I got to be honest with you. So does reining in and taming my tongue. Now, so does defeating those, those sins and temptations that have held me in bondage for so long. James, so does ha having a, a faith that, that is much more than mere words, but is consistently lived out loud. Seems impossible. And, and so does truly living my life in humility uh, that comes from your wisdom and no longer being stupid. <laughs> and so does showing no partiality, treating everyone, all people the same. And really updating my favorites list. And James, my brother, if you really want to know, so does breaking up with the world. So does stop busting on my brothers and sisters. And, and so does in, embracing the ultimate bottom line that he who knows the good he ought to do but doesn't do it sins. Yet James, to be honest, at, at times, all of that seems pretty impossible and out of my reach. I mean, me actually living my life that way I don't know. I mean, has anybody ever felt that way when you read the book of James? That the life that James, a half-brother of Jesus, calls us to live seems almost impossible, seems out of our realistic reach. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And brothers and sisters, I, I would encourage you today, me today, us today, this morning, September the 13th, 2015, that not only is living a life of real faith possible, but that, that it's God's intent. And, and that since it's God's intent, that he has, he has set the stage and he has stacked the deck in our favor so that we can actually live that way. Here's some scriptures that speak to how God has already stacked the deck in our favor. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now I am away. It is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Work hard. Why? For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and, and to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. How great is that power? That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he rose Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. 
God has stacked the deck. God has set the stage in our favor. Peter says it this way. By his divine power, God is giving us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to him, coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Maybe go listen. Because it's not by our might or our power, but by his spirit, because God is working in us, giving us both the desire and the power to obey him, because the same power that conquered the grave lives in us, because God, by his divine power, has given us everything we need, it really is possible for us to live the life and have the kind of real faith that God, through James, calls us to live. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Amen? Therefore, brothers and sisters, you can. You can. You can turn that current trial and hardship and all those future trials and hardships into triumphs and consider them pure joy. You can defeat and overcome those sins and temptations that have held you back. You can. You really can. Reign in your tongue and tame that beast so that it gives life and not death. You can live out a wisdom, live out a way of relating with people that, that, that is full of good deeds, that come from humility, and that is pure, peace-loving, considerate, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And you can, you can, you can combine your faith with works into the ultimate dynamic duo that saves, does good, makes sacrifices, takes risk, is alive, honors God, and changes the world. Maple Grove, when it comes to making your faith real, you can. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Get it? Good. And here's what we're going to do. I, I want you to think about something you're struggling with something that to you, again, seems impossible, and you got a really easy line. It's not going to be on the screen, but I know you can do this one, right? I, I'm just going to say, with God, and you say, I can, right? Yeah. With God? With God? With God? With God? It's true. It's true. So I want you to be encouraged, right? Because what James is calling us to live, that life, we can live, and not on our own, but with God. I can now, this morning, we're going to be unpacking James chapter 5, 1 through 6, in a message I'm calling, It Don't Got the Rot. And, you know, um, Sonia Cavill is very educated, called her up this week, and I said, hey, is It Don't Got the Rot good grammar? And she said, no, it's not. I said, perfect. <laughs> okay. okay. It's Steve grammar. I invented my own, right? If you, can't, if, if, you know, if you can't use the one you're with, make up a new one, right? Okay. So, <laughs> uh, so turn to the person to your right and to your left and say, it don't got the rot. Okay. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, okay, let's do this. Uh, James chapter 1, James chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. And hey, I know what some of you are thinking. Finally, I get to relax because James is obviously not talking to me. I'm not rich. I'm not rich. Billionaires are rich. You know, a billion's like a big number. Did, 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 did you know that if you took a billion, a billion dollars in one dollar bills, right, and put them end to end, it would wrap around the earth 24 times. Crazy. This is even crazier one to me. If you took a billion dollars in $100 bills and laid them end to end, right, it would stretch from Charlottesville Virginia to Fort Myers, Florida. And I'd be hanging out the window, scooping them suckers up, wouldn't you? Can you imagine? A hundred dollar bill. The whole way, lined up. A billion dollars in one hundred dollar bills would, be, would weigh ten tons. Crazy. Yeah, rich people are billionaires, right? They're not us. Uh, this week I want to see, like, who's the richest people in the world. By the way, none of you are on that list. I keep sending invites to those on the list. I haven't heard back from any of them yet. But here's the top five um, richest people in the world. Here's the num- number five is Larry Ellison. He's, 
He's the founder of a software company called Oracle. Used to work for the CIA, I think, doing software, so that's why he's doing so well, right? 54.3 billion. Uh, here, the next guy is a founder of, of, a, Spash, uh, of a Spanish fashion company, 64.5 billion. Next guy, maybe you heard of Warren Buffett, right? American businessman, 72.7 billion. Coming in next is a guy who was first last year, you know, him, him and the number one guy have been battling out. This guy goes by the name of Slim, right? You know, he is worth $77.1 billion. And then number one is everybody's favorite, um, Windows 10, Bill Gates, uh, $79.2 billion. Again, a hard number to understand, right? How big is that? You know, uh, this past week, I cleaned out my garage. I found an old pair of shorts. I right? reached into it. I found $22, man. And I, it's like, party, right? Right? I mean, we were having steaks, and we didn't get Leela one, but hey, Leela, go out and get that steak. We could all have, you could have a steak with us, man, and we can get them 50-cent ice cream cones at McDonald's, man. I was excited. Yeah, I love when that happens, don't you? Like, wow. You know, if Bill Gates was clean out his garage, which we'd never do, but imagine that he did, and when you compare his net worth to mine, he would reach in that pair of shorts in the garage, and he would pull out $17 million. Okay, that's, just, that's crazy. And this one is even crazier to me. I, I, I did it like 20 times on my calculator, right? If Bill Gates at 79.2, now point two is like a big deal. That's like 200 million. Oh, who cares about the point two? We'll just leave it. Nah, it's like a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> if he spent $100,000 a day, it would take him 2,169 years to spend it. That's nuts. Now listen, you rich people. Man, James is not talking to us, right? He's talking to Bill Gates, right? He's talking to Slim, right? We don't have that kind of money, and we don't live in these kind of houses either, do we? That's the Spelling Mansion, right? Just a small place out in L.A., 123 rooms, 56,000 square foot, bowling alley, tennis court, swimming pool. It has a whole floor, just nothing but closets. It it has three rooms that are just used for wrapping presents, okay? Okay, That's, that's nuts. But this house next is, is like twice as big. You know, I can't even say that first word. Renert. Ren- I don't want to say his name wrong in case he's listening online somewhere and, and he, he won't come to visit. But, you know, that house is in the Hamptons. 29 bedrooms, 39 bathrooms, 12 chimneys. It has a 90-foot long dining room. It has a 10,000-square-foot playhouse with a swimming pool and a bowling alley inside. It has a 164-seat movie theater, a car garage that holds over 100 cars, 110,000 square feet. Crazy. Now listen, you rich people. You know, that's who James is talking to, right? Therefore, this week, we don't got to get in the ring, right? We don't have to face off with James. But listen, before we, we grab a hot dog and a drink and take our seat in the stands and watch James pummel the billionaires, I got some news for us. When James says, now listen, you're rich people, he's actually talking to us. See, it's all in who we compare ourselves to. Understand, if you make $25,000 a year, you are, in the, the, you are in the wealthiest 2% of the world. Did you hear me? If you make $25,000 a year, you're in the wealthiest 2% of the world. Now, I know things may be tight right now and, and difficult, but nevertheless, I'm telling you that you're actually, by global standards, wealthy. As a matter of fact, you are somebody's Bill Gates, right? <laughs> you're, some, you're somebody's Bill Gates. You know, th- th- there's over a billion people that, that make less than a dollar a day. So finding $22 in your pocket is like a, a month's salary. I'll tell you what, if I reach in a pair of shorts and I found a month's salary in there, man, I'd be really happy. I mean, we're going to Kurt's ice cream rather than McDonald's for those ice cream codes, right? Yeah. We're going we're gonna to step it up a little bit, right? You know, that'd be crazy. You know, I, I took my family to a movie recently, right? And, and, and three months salary for those people. Three months salary to go see a movie. Brothers and sisters, billions of people around the world would have their mind blown with how we live. Your house has how many rooms? We, 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 where we live, we squeeze in the one. What's that? Oh, that's our refrigerator. It's where we keep our food. Well, what's that closet next to it? That's our pantry. That's where we keep our extra food. 
right? What's that? Well, that's our bathroom, our downstairs bathroom. Oh, you got more than one bathroom? Oh, oh. well, why, why, is it so, why is it so nice and cooling here when it's 100 degrees outside? Well, we have this thing called AC that keeps our temperature nice all year round. Oh, well, what's behind that door? That's our garage where we, where we, where we keep our cars. Oh, and, and what's that key hanging on the wall? Oh, that's to our storage unit because we don't have enough room in our house for all the stuff that we have. I was recently walking through Food Lion, and, and I was imagining what, I mean, we see those pictures of refugees and people living in third world countries. I was imagining pushing my car, like, what would they feel? I mean, I'm just seeing all kinds, everywhere I'm looking, food, food, food. Walking there, there's little Debbie Swiss rolls. Hey, man, they're on sale, you know, two for three bucks. Yeah, that's good. You know, I mean, everywhere you look, right? Everywhere. And I'm thinking if somebody, if they walked in, they wouldn't believe it, right? I mean, they'd be pinching themselves. Am I dreaming? Is this really happening? Yeah, I was sharing this with my, my friend, uh, Bob Vertrikis, and he shared some things with me that speak to this. And he, he was saying that, uh, that back when Brezhnev, the leader of the Soviet Union, came to America, that he was taken to a grocery store, and he thought it was staged. He didn't believe it. Okay, they're just making this up, Right? He couldn't believe that. You mean everyday ordinary people can walk in here and you have thousands of these? And then years later, when his, uh, uh, the guy that took over, um, Khrushchev, I believe, you know, flew over the suburbs surrounding D.C. and then saw all the homes that ordinary people lived in, couldn't believe it. Like, are you kidding me? Like, everyday people, that's how they live? So... Maple Grove, when James calls on the rich to listen, he's writing to us. He's talking to us. Get it? Tell the person to your right and left, he's talking to you. Okay. All right. Here's what he writes, God's Word. Now listen, you rich people, all rich people, but especially all rich people who were reading this letter, attending those churches, claiming Christ. So what is James going to what does he want to say to us this morning about wealth and riches? And get ready. I mean, you're in the ring. He's going to draw blood. I'm just telling you. He's going to draw blood from us today. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Thank you very much, James. Your gold and silver are corroded. Uh, the corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded your wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. I think that last verse is saying, in other words, if you're going to live this way, should not God oppose you? Now, that's some harsh language, right? That's, that's vintage James, right? And that's some serious judgments and consequences about riches. Weep, wail, rot it, misery, eaten, corroded, eat your flesh like fire. You fatten yourself in the day of slaughter. I mean, you read that and you're like, I don't want to be rich. <laughs> I, I, I don't want any money. Yeah, being rich must be a bad thing. No, it's not. See, the issue, the problem is not money and wealth in and of itself. In fact, many of God's greatest servants in the Bible are very wealthy. Abraham, David, Joseph, Solomon, Barnabas, Joseph, Arimathea. No, wealth and riches are not inherently evil. Then what's the problem with wealth? Why is it so dangerous? Paul gives us part of the answer in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I mean, think how much evil in our world is driven by the love of money. A lot. Some people, eager for money, believers, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I know that money is everyone's favorite topic. Some of you wish this was the day you brought your neighbor to church, right? Because they're talking about money, right? It's kind of taboo even in the church. I mean, we're like, okay, James, if you must, go ahead, James, talk about my tongue. 
You know, talk, talk, talk about my sin, talk about temptation, talk about how I use worldly wisdom, you know, talk about all that stuff. But James, don't you dare cross that line, brother, and start talking about my money because my money is between me and God. Ever heard that one? Where'd you hear it from? I'll tell you where you didn't hear it from. Scripture. <laughs> it's not in Scripture. It's not in Scripture. It'd be like me saying, you know, a pastor, are you cheating on your wife? Hey, that's between me and God. <laughs> you know, that wouldn't fly, right? But money, you know, money's that, you know what I'm saying? Because some of you already, you know, I'm feeling, feeling a lot of love, right? Feeling a lot of love. And, and, and so what James would say to us, when it comes to money, he says, you know, you put down your drink, put down your hot dog, get out of your seat, and it's time to get back in the ring. Because we have some more work to do if you want your faith to be real in regards to money. And, and what, what I, I want to do this morning is I want us to look at these six verses and, 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 and pull out four truths out of them, advice from James, so that when it comes to your wealth and mine, it don't got to rot. That it don't got to rot. Brothers and sisters that don't got the rot. Number one, point in your notes, just don't tie your H3I, three parts H, one part I, into having a bunch of it. Don't tie your hope. Don't tie your happiness. Don't tie your identity to your wealth, riches, possessions, and stuff. Question, do people ever do that? Ever tie their identity, their happiness, their hope, to wealth and possessions? Have you ever tied your identity, your wealth, and your happiness to money and possessions? You ever done that? Is it, how is it working? Is it working well for you? Now listen, you rich people, weeping well because of the misery that's coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moss have eaten your clothes. You've gold and silver corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Understand, James is speaking into the church, and he's saying that, that money's dangerous, and that because of money, misery's coming. He says, riches are rotten, garments are moth-eaten, and gold and silver have corroded. And, and they, didn't have, you know, they didn't have a stock market. They didn't have 401ks. And so that's how they accumulated their wealth. Now, now, now what would make all of our wealth corrode and unravel and be moth-eaten and become worthless? Why is this so dangerous? Well, we start to see the answer to that in the second half of verse 3. It says, you've hoarded your wealth in the last days. Now, 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 why would someone hoard their wealth? Here's what James is saying. The reason why money is so dangerous and all this is falling apart is because you, you've trusted in the wrong thing. You, you put your hope in the wrong place, thinking that m money is going to settle all of your anxieties, thinking that, that money is a great place to lay a foundation for hope in this life. And James is saying, no. He says, you, you put your hope in the wrong place, in the wrong thing, and now you're paying for it. it it's not working. You're reaping the consequences. Paul talked about this misplaced hope in 1 Timothy 6. It's like these guys read each other's sermons. I command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Remember, we're the rich. which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for what? Our enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy stuff. And listen, Jesus uses the same language that James uses. Because here's what happened. James became a Christian, believe in Jesus, and the next day he went on iTunes and downloaded every one of his brother's podcasts, right? And started listening, right? And started pasting them into his messages. And Jesus said this in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Don't store up treasures for yourself on earth. Why not? Because earthly treasures are bad? No, because they won't last. Scripture says in Proverbs 23, 5, 
I love this one. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. Ever feel this about your paycheck? For they will sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Uh, what a picture, right? Hey, next time you buy a prized possession and I buy a prized possession, we need to imagine it's sprouting wings and flying off. Because you know what? Sooner or later, it's going to sprout wings and it's going to fly off and it's going to disappear. Now understand, when Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, it's not just because earthly wealth might be lost. No, it's because earthly wealth will always be lost. You see, earthly wealth will either leave us, it'll either leave us while we live, or we leave it when we die. No exceptions. Therefore, it's not wise to store it up here and to put our hope in it. Get it? Good. And let me try to illustrate. Imagine you're alive at the end of the Civil War. You're living in the South, but you're from the North, and you plan to move back home to the North once the war is over. And while in the South, you accumulated a, a whole bunch of Confederate currency. Now, suppose you, you know for sure that the North is going to win and that the end, in fact, is imminent. What should you do with your Confederate currency? If you're smart, there's only one answer. You would immediately cash in your Confederate currency for U.S. currency, the only money that will have value when the war is over. Now, sure, you'll keep some, right, you know, to meet your short-term needs, but you would not store up that stuff anymore. Brothers and sisters, as Jesus followers, we have insider knowledge of an eventual worldwide upheaval caused by Christ's return. Understand, one day the war will be over and Satan will be cast down. And listen, th this is the ultimate insider trading tip. Are you ready? Earth's currency will become worthless when Christ returns or when you die, whichever comes first. And either one could happen at any time. Get it? Now, investment experts known as uh, market timers, they, they constantly look for signs that the stock market is about to take a dive. And, and when they see that dive on the horizon, you know, they, they begin to recommend that, that people switch all their investment funds into something more stable, money markets, treasury bonds, etc. Well, Jesus in Matthew 6, in a way, is functioning as the foremost market timer. And he's telling us, that the earth's economy is very volatile and it is going to crash. Therefore, we need to transfer our funds from earth to heaven, which is totally dependable, insured by God, who's coming back to forever replace earth's economy. Yes, Christ's financial forecast for earth is bleak, but he's unreservedly bullish about investing in heaven where every market indicator is eternally positive. Now, there's nothing wrong with Confederate money as long as we understand its limits. It's not going to last. And, and, and we realize that, that it's, it's temporary. It changes our investment strategy. Therefore, to accumulate vast earthly treasures that we cannot possibly hold on to is equivalent to stockpiling Confederate currency even though we know it's about to become worthless. Get it? Good. See, see, to put our hope in riches and wealth, it's not a sound investment. Jesus once told a story about a guy that did just that in Luke chapter 12. He says, then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones in the Hamptons, and then I'll have room enough to store all my weed and other, other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, now I can live in that mansion. Now I can be on that forwards list. And you know what? He's feeling pretty good about himself, about what he's accumulated, and no doubt people liked him. They wanted to be with him. And no doubt they use such words to describe him as success, visionary, leader, entrepreneur. But you know what? Jesus had a different word to describe this guy. But God said to him, you what? 
You fool. You'll die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Amen? It don't got to rot. Do not put your hope in wealth and riches. Get it? Good. And don't tie your happiness to it either. Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Question, have you ever thought that having more money, you know, winning the lottery, right? <laughs> My mom was always waiting for a ship to come in. It just, she always said, she think it sank on the way over, you know? You know, but you ever thought that having more money would be the key to your happiness? And it's easy to think that way, right, living in America? I mean, where we proudly fly the banner that we believe that everything is about life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness, right? That's what it's about, right? That's what we think. But listen, the problem is when you make wealth, riches, and stuff your key to happiness, it will never be enough. You'll always want more. Check out what Solomon wrote as he looked back on a very dissatisfied life. He said, whoever loves money never has enough. The more you have, the more you want, right? I, I experienced this on Wednesday morning, 5.45 a.m. I put my beats on, listening to Oceans, going to walk over to church, you know, and, and I thought, hey, I wonder if I can get into that house they're building over there, you know, that the doors aren't locked yet in my neighborhood. And and I want to see what it looks like inside. And I got in there, and, and uh, it's like mine, but it has like every option that the world could ever think of. And I'm in a pretty nice house, right? And I'm in there, and I'm going, like, that fireplace is amazing. It goes out onto the deck. Look at that deck. You know? And for about two minutes, right, I had house envy, right? You know? And, and I, had my, I had music on the whole time. It wasn't until I stepped off the stairs weren't there. I had to hop off, you know, you know, from the house that I started hearing the music again, you know, and, and, and how silly, right? I mean, I'm in a really nice house, yeah, nicest house I ever lived in, right? And all of a sudden, it's like I got, I got house envy. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. <laughs> Can you say I-R-S, right? And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The more you have, the more you realize it does you no real good. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man, what? Permits him no sleep. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of, of the, its owner. The more you have, the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. Or wealth lost through misfortune. The more you have, the more you have to lose. Naked a man came from his mother's womb, and, he, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. The more you have, the more you leave behind. Someone asked after John D. Rockefeller passed away, uh, arguably one of the richest men who ever lived, and, and adjusted for inflation, he was worth about like $500 billion. And someone asked, how much did he leave when he died? Answer, all of it, right? All of it. You see, don't tie your happiness to wealth. And here's some quotes from some very wealthy people. Andrew Carnegie said, Andrew Carnegie said millionaires seldom smile. Henry Ford, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. W.H. Vanderbilt, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. John Jacob Astor, I am the most miserable man on earth. J.W. Rockefeller, I've made my millions, but they have brought me no happiness. It don't got to rot. Just don't tie your hope, your happiness, or your identity to those things. And finally, no, don't tie your identity. Finally, I'm not the finally yet, Okay. Do people ever tie their identity to what they own and have? I mean, do you, do you ever look at what other people have, where they live, what they drive, what they wear, and conclude that they are somehow more important, more significant than you are? That's a lie. I understand as Jesus followers, our identity is in Christ. 
And listen, being in Christ means that the world does not get to define us by the car we drive, the home we live in, or the clothes we wear. Amen? The world doesn't get to define us by those things. We're defined by the fact that in Christ we are a son or daughter of the sovereign king of the universe. It don't got the rot. Don't tie your happiness, your hope, your identity. And the third H is don't tie your heart to it. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there what? Your heart will also be. I mean, what Jesus is really saying, he's saying that our wallet and our bank statement is a gracious gift from God to let us know where our heart really is. And what Jesus is saying, it's like Jesus is saying, hey, you know, Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, you know, we can talk about how we, we love the kingdom of God, how much we love him, the difference he's made in our lives, how much we're all about what he's about. And Jesus says, yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you saying that's important to you. But let's check that bank statement again and meet at Starbucks at 9 o'clock this week. And, and seriously, just, and this is not for you to judge someone else or someone to judge you, is that for us to judge ourselves? Because our, we can deceive ourselves what's really important to us. And so if this week, if you sat down across this table at Starbucks with Jesus and he's got your bank statement and you're looking at it together, what would it show? Where your heart is? Would it reveal that his kingdom, that the church, that this church has your heart? Would it reveal that those in the world who are less fortunate and need help, the ones that God cares about, has your heart? You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Amen? Everybody feeling real comfortable right about now? Good deal. Next, just don't make it through dishonest means. And these will go fast, but they're still important. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. See, God cares not only about what we do with our money, but how we got our money. Did we get it through dishonest means? Ripping off those who work for us, cheating and shortchanging our customers. You know, the old, you know, deli guy who's got his thumb on the scale, right? As you're getting that pound of ham, right? Padding our expensive account, cheating on our taxes, fudging our timesheets, mileage log on our tip reporting, not doing a full day's work, doing social media and other surfing while on the time clock, making money through dishonest business deals or maybe illegal activity. Proverbs says, ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. Brother and sister, it don't got to rot. It don't got to rot. It, you just don't put your H3I into having a bunch of it. You just don't make it through dishonest means. And just don't use it to only indulge yourself. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fatten yourself in the day of slaughter, it's like James said, hey, you thought you were, you thought you were um, living high off the hog. You were actually becoming the hog, right? You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. God makes it clear throughout Scripture that, that, he, that he blesses us for our enjoyment. I mean, if you have a nice house, enjoy it. You can go on vacation, enjoy it. You have a nice car, enjoy it. You know, God's not like, I'm going to give you this gift, and if you're happy about it, I'm going to get mad with you, right? That's not who God is. But he just said, don't make it all about you. Don't don't live in self-indulgence. Think of other people. God was that way. He even put in the law of Moses to those who were rich and had fields. He said this, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Why? Leave it for the poor and the foreigner living among you. I am the Lord your God. In other words, do what I tell you. Yeah, God wants us to enjoy the stuff he's blessed us with, but he does not want us to live in our own luxury and self-indulgence. Get it? Good. Which brings us to the final point in, in making sure it, it don't rot. Just be sure to leverage, for, just be sure to leverage it for his kingdom and his glory. 
Paul writing to the rich says this in 1 Timothy 6, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. And Maple Grove, life that is truly life is the life that is generous and giving. Amen? At age 55, John D. Rockefeller, he was dying. You know, he, he had a huge bleeding ulcer. All he could eat was milk and crackers. Every night he'd wake up every hour in incredible pain. And, and then he thought, he was a smart guy, but he had grown up in the church. He had grown up a believer, but he had not been living like a believer. I mean, this guy, this guy made his money. He didn't care who he stepped on. And then he realized, you know what, I, I should begin doing what I should have been doing all along. Instead of worrying about making money, I'm going I'm to be consumed with giving it away. And he gave away hundreds of millions of dollars. You know what happened? His ulcer went away. He get, became a happy guy. And he wound up living another 30 years. And he discovered that truth that's buried in the book of Acts. It is more blessed to what? To give than receive. And that's what a guy named Zacchaeus found out, right? He was a rich guy. He ripped people off too, right? He got his money by dishonest means. He, he met Jesus, blown away that, that God would want a relationship with him. And, and Zacchaeus, once he found that out, hey, well, God wants to be my friend, stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. And Jesus said, today salvation, eternal life has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. I love it. The rich young ruler walked away how? Sad. And kept all his stuff. Zacchaeus walked away. I think he was jumping. I think he was busting some moves, man, right? You know, half, half of what I have, I'm going to give to the poor. And if I ripped you off, I'm giving back four times as much. He found the joy that is found in giving. Maple Grove, it's time for us, right? Individually, right? Spend time with God and say, God, how can I leverage my resources as a rich person for your honor and for your glory so that I am storing up? Let's get rid of that. As much Confederate current, nothing against the Confederacy. I know I'm in the South, right? You know, it's an illustration, illustration. Let's get rid of that Confederate currency because we're going to lose. It's going to be gone. And let's store up as much in heaven, right, that we can. And you know what? There are countless people in this room already doing it. I mean, every week there are people who, every week there are people who bring in their tithe, their 10%, and God made it easy, right? We just got to move the decimal point. It's not some form of X's and Y's we're solving for, right? So I'm going to make it real simple. You make 10 bucks, you give me a buck, right? You made it real easy. And every week people come and do that. And there are people in this room who, who sponsor children in other countries, and for $38 a month, they are changing their lives. A few weeks back, I mentioned that I think almost every family ought to sponsor somebody through Compassion or some other organization. One guy sitting in the room you know, grabbed me the next Sunday. He said, you know what, Steve, when you said that, I went back that very day, a guy named Tim. He said, I went back that, that Sunday night, I went online, and I'm sponsoring a child. And right now, he's making a difference, 38 bucks in somebody's life. There are people in this church who have second mortgaged their homes, tapped into their 401ks and, and other types of saving in order to adopt orphans from another country. Uh, there are people in this, in this church who are leveraging the home God has blessed them with so that they can bring and provide a family environment uh, to children and the foster care system who, needs to, who need to know what a family looks like. Uh, there are people in this church who are, are taking vacation time and, 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 and who, are, who are using their own funds sometimes to go overseas to tell people the good news about Jesus Christ, leveraging their resources for God and his glory. There, there are people, there have been people in this churches, you know, um, this one family, you know, uh, the Snell family, where, you know, for many years, the church van was their van, right? You know, we go on a trip. Here, here's our van. We need it for a family, but you know what? It's not ours. 
you know, leveraging their resources. There are people who open up their homes every week, and guess what? You know, for life groups, you know what? There may be kids. Some of them may spill a drink on the carpet, you know, uh, but they're opening up their homes, leveraging, right, their resources for God. And there are people every week using their talents and their skills and their abilities that God is giving them to earn a living. They're using those things here in the church as a volunteer, hundreds and hundreds of hours every week. Could you imagine if, if the church had to pay for that? I mean, we closed down. We closed down today, right? We couldn't make it. But they're leveraging their resources, their abilities for God's kingdom, and in doing so, they're storing up treasures in heaven. Yes, many are already doing this. And for those who already are, you know what? I, my challenge is let's do more. Let's get rid of some more of that Confederate currency. You know, let's store up more treasures in heaven for ourselves. And those who maybe haven't quite tapped into it, I want to challenge you and encourage you, right, you know, to store up treasures in heaven because that's where you're going to spend eternity. Amen? That's where we're going to spend eternity. We're going to close now with a song, and it's a perfect song. Because lead me to the cross. And, and, and see, there's a line in there that I love because I, I, I'm selfish. That's my problem, right? I'm uppermost in my own affections, and it's hard not to be that way. I, I want to be the point, but I'm not the point. And, and, and there's a line in there I love so much. And the reason we have such a hard time with our money in America, especially in churches, right? We don't want to talk about it, right? It's taboo. You know, it's between me and God, and, you know, you know, it's, it's self, right? I want it for me, right? I want my money to do the things that I want to do. And again, do not, do not misapply or misinterpret what I'm trying to say. If God has blessed you, enjoy those blessings. Don't go home to your nice house and say, oh, I'm such a terrible person to have a nice house. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying God is giving us the things he's giving us so that we can help expand his kingdom. And all of us can do more, right? All of us can do more, you know, for his honor and his glory, you know. And that line in the song is, rid me of myself. Why? Because I belong to you. And everything I have belongs to him. And and it's my prayer that, that we just become a church that is on fire with generosity, you know, what, how much more can we give to help other people and to advance the kingdom of God? Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we love you so much. And God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for James. We thank you that James doesn't invite us into a game of patty cake. And he, he doesn't tickle our ears and tell us what we want to hear. He, he tells us what we need to hear. Because who wants to get to heaven and find out they got nothing in their bank account, right? That there's nothing up there waiting for them. And so, God, I pray you move. And, and God, I pray right now you would just lead us to the cross as we get ready to take communion. And, and God, as we think about ourselves and all the ways you blessed us, blessed us, we drew the, the good straw, and we're in a first world country, Lord. And, and all the ways you blessed us, God, and how we can leverage for your glory and for your honor. God, I pray that. You will tr- we will truly, that you will rid us of ourselves so that we can live more fully for you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's worship.